0: In classrooms across the country, teachers are changing the future of student success. That's why the Stride Professional Development Center is committed to solving teachers' greatest challenges with live events and a growing library of on-demand professional development content. On March 1st, teachers everywhere are invited to join Stride PD Center's award-winning conference, Promising Practices 2024. Promising Practices connects teachers to practical strategies and innovative resources they can apply directly in the classroom. Sessions will feature topics such as instructional practices, school culture, student support, project-based learning, and more. Speakers will share resources that can be tailored across subjects and grade levels in any type of school and in every community. In addition to the live events on March 1st, Attendees will also receive one-year free access to the Stride PD Center. Learn more and register today at stridepdcenter.com.
1: It's almost like, would you give the keys to the, your car to, you know, somebody with a, a learner's permit and just think, oh, well, you'll just learn, you know, as you go along, you know. You know, I'm sure, you know, you can learn by fire. You can learn by doing. Really, is is it the best thing that <laughs> for your car and for your, your child's welfare? It's great to have somebody there that has that experience and to say, you know what? I'm terrible at double parking, too, but let, let's try to figure this out together. According
0: to a survey by the Pew Research Center, of teenagers reported using social media, and more than a third of them use it, quote, almost constantly. High social media usage in children has caused concern in parents, with many wondering if social media is safe for their kids. What are the negative and positive impacts of social media? Should parents place a limit on their kids' social media usage? And how should we talk to kids about social media? This is what I want to know today. I'm joined by Linda Shamarman to find out. Linda Shamarman is the director and founder of the Youth Media and Wellbeing Research Lab at Wellesley College. Her research and action interests include social technology and adolescent health, digital citizenship, innovative research methods, and how social identities affect well-being. She joins us today to discuss how we can talk to our kids about social media. Linda, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, I'm so excited that you invited me. Thank you.
0: Social media. Boy, it's everywhere. Our world has changed. I mean, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a little bit old school. So I remember the days when social media wasn't prevalent. Um, But it is everywhere. And you've done extensive research in the area of social media. I want to unpack a little bit. The impact of social media on our students, our kids, but I have to ask, what drew you to this work?
1: Yes, I actually also remember a time when there was no social media and even no email, yeah, uh, right, and we had phones and even not even the. Well, see, you wear it,
0: you wear it yeah. much better than I do. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there was a time. Um, but boys change.
1: Yes, yes, it has changed quite a bit. And the reason why I started on this road was because I I cared about the impact of media in general on adolescent development, um, and the fact that there was so much passive consumption of media images that may or may not um, help or hinder, you know, people's identity development over time. Adolescents, you know, kind of trying to figure themselves out and reach out to people that might. Make them feel like a sense of belonging, and it used to be that in the old days it was very passive consumption. But with the advent of more interactive media, you know, even even streaming, you know, content, you know, it used to be broadcast media, and then it was, you know, YouTube and you know things that you can you can on demand request and you know have more choice. And so there's more interactive components. And then was the dawn of trying to create internal friendship networks on social media that opened up more doors for advancing, you know, networking opportunities, but also a lot of, you know, visual um, public display of your interactions with other people that brings it, you know, all the the joys, but also a lot of potential uh, drama. (laughs) You know, it's
0: interesting because much of why we're where we are today kind of started with Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. with the whole idea of, of interacting online and uh, for social engagement. Uh, but I'm struck by your work. Uh, when you you said you started looking at how media impacted the development of adolescence. But now, as you alluded to, Linda, isn't it the case that the impact is so much more profound? I mean, we've got studies from you know, neurologists and scientists that talk about the brain development and the the impact on uh, children's ability to develop their cognitive skills, which is different from 20, 30 years ago. Um, The increase in anxiety, the, you know, just the simple need to slow down and take things in stride as opposed to the rush, rush, hectic world. Talk a little bit about what some of your research has shown on with respect to those kind of impacts. And we're going to talk about the good, bad and ugly, but Mm -hmm. I'm always struck by how young peoples don't appreciate the brain science and the impact that social media has on that.
1: Yes. Well, I would say that, uh, young people and the, the people that take care of them, whether that's parents, caregivers, educators, uh, over the last, you know, 15 years or so with the, uh, with the massive explosion of, you know, very, very common social media sites that everybody kind of signs up for, uh, it's been really hard to keep up with the with the impact that it's been having on our young people, uh, you know, for, for a variety of reasons. But one, one thing that I did want to note is that, when you start using these social technologies, uh, it sometimes can happen at an opportune time in your adolescent development stage. And sometimes it's not an opportune time. It could be that they aren't ready, you know, for the 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 functions that it opens the door to a Pandora box to the whole world. It's almost like a having access to Google unfettered. And do parents really want your your kid to have access to a search engine that you can actually look up anything that you want under the sun? Maybe it's not quite age appropriate for, you know, for particular individuals and families and depending on their values, you know. And so um, in terms of adolescent development and, and the brain development there are things that that don't develop until later on in life that help with impulse control, help with self regulation, help with you know understanding what is important to tend to and what is not important, what's marginal and shouldn't you know get you too upset, you know. Um, and so, and so it, I think it's all about timing as opposed to the the actual social media itself. It's more like when do you think your your you know child or preteen or or teen is ready for all the all the things that it opens the door to when you look at the data it says now that
0: you know 95 percent of us use social media and 95 percent of our children use it but there's a third over 30 percent of children say that they're on social media quote almost constantly so in other words that's what they do and you know I've had other guests on the show, and we talk about if you drive early in the morning in a neighborhood and you look at a a bus stop for kids. There may be 10, 15, 20 kids there, and they all are looking at their (laughs) PDAs, (laughs) and they're not interacting with each other. And when, you know, when I was young, when you were young at the bus stop, you know, you played, you you know, you played tag, whatever, you talked. There's no conversations at bus stops now, not unless parents are around talking to each other (laughs) Well, sometimes I've seen that while the kids are on their PDA. But I want to quote uh, Linda Shamaraman, someone who's very knowledgeable about this. When you talk about the two things that are important recognizing the good, bad, and ugly of social media, and you alluded to this, Linda, I want you to flush this out. One is the onboarding, how they get, you know, the, begin, the beginning process of engaging in social media platforms, which I never heard it quite put like that, but when I was reading your work, I said, the onboarding is important. What's your introduction to it? And then the second thing that you've said is important is the usage. How do you use it? And that sounds simplistic, but sort of unpack why, even if it sounds simplistic,
1: is so important. Absolutely. Onboarding is, it's almost like, would you give the keys to the, your car to you know somebody with a... With a, a permit a learner's permit and just think, oh well you'll just learn you know as you go along, you know you know i 'm sure you know you can learn by fire, you can learn by doing really is is it the best thing that <laughs> for your car and for your your child's welfare I love it, that you know it, it's it's similar in in that you know you want to kind of be there with them as they ask questions as they're on the road as they're parking for the first time, double parking for the first time all these challenges that are going to come up, you know, you, at some point you're not going to be able to avoid double parking. And, and, you know, it's great to have somebody there to has that experience and to say, you know what, I'm terrible at double parking too, but let, let's try to figure this out together. You know, it doesn't mean that, you know, the adult actually is the expert sometimes, um, but that technology, there is a, there is a long road of many different bumps and learning opportunities along, along the, um, the, the path you know onboarding starts with even before the the tween or teen or child gets access to the phone you know so so find out are they ready for a phone and and because right soon after the phone is the onboarding of social media sites and and really it's about it's not just about um, social media quote-unquote in general but there' are certain there's certain apps that might be more um um, there might might be more ready for certain apps compared to others you know it really depends on their friendship group and what other people are doing in their group and how much they're they're being a, a positive influence in their group and you know if there are certain things that are going viral that are are you know a, a challenge to uh to anybody who who might be impressionable or you know hard to distract themselves before bed and can't get enough sleep because they just can't help themselves, you know, so it really depends on how much your, um, the onboarding you know team, whether it's a caregiver or educator or a sibling an older sibling that knows the ropes, you know for them to kind of be there during that learning permit phase, you know, like how should we add this person to your network? Is this person making you feel bad whenever they post something you know um is this you know are you feeling fomo and and there there's your team to talk about it you know as as it's happening. And um, just like you would have the availability of your team to really be there for that beginning driver of a car, your team probably needs to be there for quite a long time after they get their first phone, their smartphone, after they get their first sites. And then as soon as they get their first sites, they're going to add more sites. That's why they're on it constantly because they're going from site to site to site, checking notifications, checking what's what's the latest. And so... Um, And so and there's different issues that might pop up or different affordances, wonderful things that could happen to join, you know, um, different communities online. But sometimes it can be a lot for uh, a young person to to decipher which one is a meaningful use of their time, you know, connecting with other people and which ones are a little bit less meaningful and maybe is distracting them for the things that they need to get done. Uh,
0: Talk to me a little bit about... um the age in which uh, you should allow or consider having your child gain access to these sites. Uh, And I understand that some children are in a different place in terms of their maturity level, their growth and development, so it could vary. Um, But also there's this thing that, you know, you talked about earlier where, you know, a lot of us, a lot of parents, they don't know what they don't know. And there's this thing about do as I say, not as I do. You've got parents now who are on the phones or on their PDAs. And, you know, so talk about the age-appropriate conversation and, and also, you know, the, the access to, to sites. I mean, uh, it's clear that if you have young children, parental controls should, should play a role in it. Uh, but talk about that whole idea of making sure that the team members, as you mentioned, that they're equipped to provide the right counsel and advice. You know, even as they're navigating their own social media journeys.
1: Absolutely, and each of the sites that your child might start wanting to to use have their own parental control you know, sort of features and and it's actually a great exercise to to go through it together, not not just be secretive about it. You know, be very open about, oh, let's go through it together. And don't you think this is, you know, what do you think this is a good good way to kind of start with this site? Let, let's like limit maybe I need to approve every person that you that you add to your friendship network, you know, let's start with that. And a lot of times when when, when young, you know, tweens and um and, and kids are starting out, they want that advice from their parents. They need boundaries. They want boundaries and um, it's a wild west, and that's actually the perfect time to be like, "Oh yeah, let's let's make sure that I can approve all the apps that you that you upload onto the phone. I want to see what kind of people you're adding to your network. What kind of ads are being allowed on your network? Let, let's talk about it. Sometimes, you know, every once in a while you see something pop up. Let's have this ongoing dialogue. You know, I think I think a lot of times parents and caregivers feel as though uh, the app is supposed to take care of all the monitoring. And, and, you know, um, nothing is foolproof in life, you know, there's never 100% like, oh, this is going to completely be safe and secure for, for everybody at all times, you know, we got to have our seatbelts on, you know, we got to have procedures that keep us all safe. And some of it is about that conversation that active, um, talking about the rules and um, jointly, um, you know, kind of you know, adjusting the rules as they get older, you know, as no. when they're young, when they're like eight or nine, maybe they're on YouTube, you know, th- those YouTube videos that they used to love when they're six are going to change from the kind of YouTube things that and content that they're going to be exposed to when they're 10 and 12. And to to remember to keep changing and getting to know them as as you um, adjust your rules and regulations, maybe you're not sitting next to them all the time watching those videos, but maybe you're in the same room or, or you give them access to to their devices for a certain period of time, but to always be in touch with what is the latest going on. You know, it, it could be that it's, it's not the quantity of time that you're worried about. It's, it's about the content, you know, yeah. and so, and you usually don't know about that unless you're having conversations. Uh, one one thing, Linda, uh,
0: in, in my experience, and I have, Grandkids and I have friends who have kids and grandkids. Uh, the introduction to social media, when you talk about onboarding and having these conversations, it actually begins before social media with young kids, you know, two to three, four years old. I've seen it on planes. It's almost like the streaming services are babysitting tools for parents where... You know, the kids may not have access to social media, mm-hmm. but the whole idea of being wired or access to, you know, the, the streaming services and being connected to technology, mm-hmm. that's where the seeds are planted. So talk a little bit about that transition where you have, you know, two, three, four year old who used to say, Oh, well you can look at this, you know, it could be a you know, Aladdin or, you know, one of the shows, mm-hmm. Cinderella, what have you. Mm-hmm. And then as they get in school and they start socializing and they want to start moving to the next level, I mean, that's part of where I think parents need to make sure it's not as, it's not as simple as, all right, here, you can, you can look at this streaming video and walk away. to your point, when, when now you graduate to social media, we
1: need to have these conversations. Absolutely, and I think the pandemic really, you know, exponentially got everybody on technology, whether they wanted to or not. And so, even young kids, as you know, like second graders, third graders, they have access to their own Chromebooks or iPads through school, and and you know, they really have you know, they it's at the touch of their their fingertips. You know, if they can go go kind of um, you know on the si- a side chat or a side you know um, tab. And uh, and so these skills of trying to figure out when is appropriate to be, um, entertainment, you know, focus on your on your device and when it's uh, important to focus on your schoolwork, those skills are something that uh, need to be developed. Over many different times, there's many different transitions from the first time you get a device from school to like get entering middle school when all your friends are much more likely to have phones and social media sites. And then transitioning to high school when you're starting to think about, you know, um, how your social media sites might be uh, looked at by future employers and and, you know, college admissions, you know, um, um, boards and yeah, so I would say that it's it's never it never ends in a way because um, yeah. you know if you if you just put restrictions, and that's it, you didn't really have conversations about how they can manage their own use. Then when they go off to college, for instance, or go off into their post high school life, how are they going to ma- monitor themselves? You
0: know. Yeah, that's a really really good point because many employers, and I've experienced this, have you know they now look at social media sites of young people who are applying. And it's amazing how many young people, you know, they post all kinds of things and they've never had those conversations. They don't realize the impact of what their social media uh, postings and language and photos, what impact it has on their future employment opportunities. Uh, Linda, you are the founder and director of Youth Media and Wellbeing Research Lab. Um, First of all, talk about what the lab does, because I want to unpack as we engage on around this conversation of adolescents' use of social media, how this relates to your founding this organization and the work it does.
1: Well, it was launched back in 2018 because I got my first NIH grant that was about looking at adolescent development and the social technology use and how parents are monitoring its use. And really the mission of our lab is to understand where youth are at already and mm-hmm. to work almost with them and as a team and all their the stakeholders that care about youth well-being on on what are some future directions what are some ways that we could could really enhance the protective aspects of any kind of actions they might have using social technologies And also prevent, you know, um, preventable harm, you know, and how we as a team, whether it's, you know, educators or pediatricians or school counselors or policymakers or tech companies can can all come together to have similar goals in protecting our young peoples and their well-being.
0: What are some of the biggest takeaways in your research thus far as it relates to social media and adolescence?
1: Well one of the t- um, takeaways has to do with the age of initiation. You had mentioned it before and yeah. I I I didn't actually answer it head on and <laughs> and it's one of those things where even the American Academy of Pediatrics has backed off in in assigning an a, a, an age at which it's most appropriate or or that you have full permission to you know to like go go crazy <laughs> um because 13 is is the the age that a lot of uh, social media sites have have gravitated towards some of them are 16 which you can you know register as as your own account and most of these these ages um due to the children's online protection act you know are about uh, protecting young people's private information from being collected from advertising yeah. um, and but however there's not much research on developmental aspects of it is ev- developmentally important for us to you know protect them at 13 or not now some of my research um, from our lab initially has found that that when you look at for instance uh, an age that's very popular to start social media like around 11 or 12 like around sixth grade seventh mm-hmm. grade, uh, the differences in the harm that, that happens, you know, in terms of being bullied, you know, um, having problematic use in terms of not being able to get off of it and and having um, secretive behaviors that you're not telling your, your, your parents on, you know, it's very similar between 11, 12, and 13. They're very similar. Um, but if you get 10 and younger on social media, they tend to have more, um, you know, negative things happening, but they also have... One surprisingly positive thing that happens if you start with mm. really young, you, you actually learn how to be um, more socially proactive about raising issues that people care about. You know, kind of that uh, realizing that social media could could be a force for good and, and raising awareness, you know, in your communities, uh, to to improve your communities. Um, as opposed That's to That's interesting. Isn't it interesting, you know? Yeah. So so I would say uh, in general. The more you're on social media, the more good and bad happens because you're on it more often. It makes sense, you know? Yeah. And so the longer that you're on it also, the more friends you collect. And so that's another, that's another issue is that the more, more friends you have, more followers you have, the more time you spend on it, the more likely you are to be more constantly engaged in it. And so, and so one thing I, um, I usually, uh, you know, help caregivers, you know, it might not be the age that is as important, but it's more like how much do they need to feel like they be- need to be on it to fulfill their social obligations. And sometimes keeping it small helps them feel like they could manage it. And it's more meaningful interactions, it's not just a bunch of people that are friends of friends that they've never met before. You know, that just adds to the feed of noise, you know, like people that you don't really care about that just get on your feet and they might be older than you and showing you stuff that maybe isn't as age appropriate. And so really managing that um, that network is really key.
0: You know, this idea of, of, of finding the right balance, it, it it just it feels like it's such a challenging situation that many parents are facing because, you know, I have a, a family member with a young child who, you know, is in a 10-11 in a sports league and, you mm-hmm. um, they have a site for that child where they engage in, you know, requests for uh, community projects. They announce how the, the child's doing in in, in his sport. Um, I think that his mother writes a lot of the posts, but it's it's <laughs> you know, the 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 paragraphs are too too finely worded from addiction and sentence structure point of view for a 10 year old. But I think it's, it's helped bring them together. And to your point, what made me think about it, Linda, is he's become more socially aware about what he could do to help. Like he raises money for the homeless or raising money (laughs) for the food bank, what have you. So that is, that is a good aspect. But when, when you, when, when you think about this idea of balance, uh, there has to be this clear partnership with between parents and children. So parents have to really, this is they have to be engaged. This can't be the type of thing where they just trust the child to do it.
1: Yeah, I think because of the engagement of, in conversations from early on, it's much more likely that as they get older and the parents are checking in and having deeper conversations, that eventually there is going to be a trust built you know and that they actually can be autonomous eventually but but if it's one of those things where it was kind of out of sight out of mind they they didn't realize they needed to have these conversations sometimes it could um, lead to you know some some negative things happening and then you start putting on rules and curfews yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it, sometimes it's it's a little bit late but it's, i i like to think that it's it's never too late um but it's definitely developmentally appropriate um Uh, Depending on uh, the age, you know, if it's a high schooler, (laughs) um, it it could be that you you develop a a plan together. Um, You know, there are actually plans out there through Common Sense Media, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, a family use plan um, for media um, in particular that in which there's a whole checklist depending on the age of, of yeah. your of your child and then what's appropriate to kind of negotiate and say okay well well if I think this is appropriate what do you think you know you know is this something that you can manage to do and let's just try this out this month and then maybe revisit it and see if it works out um, and so it's it's you know in a way it's never too late but But there's definitely always new things that could pop up, which hopefully, if you already have that line of communication that's open and not um, like, uh, like, like, if if in the past they've, they've told you something that was worrisome. And if, and if your, your reaction is, oh, I'm going to take away that phone or you need to cancel that app, yeah. they may not ever come to you ever again. <laughs> and yeah. they, they increase the secretive behaviors. So so having that attitude of curiosity and, oh, let's see what we could do together that makes sense and, and you know, that you can keep those lines of communication open. So, Linda,
0: I have one last question. This is what I really want to know. And it relates to this whole idea of, of the partnership between the parent and the child. But there's another partner uh, out there, and that's the school. Mm -hmm. And so talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of how parents should also be in touch with their child's teacher, school administrators, what have you, because a lot of the social media challenges occurs or stems from the school environment. Mm -hmm. It could be the bullying, Mm -hmm. it could be working on projects together on, 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 on the good side. And teachers vary in terms of their, uh, you know, wh- what they allow and don't allow in their class. Mm-hmm. Some teachers, you know, say, hey, you can use certain, you can use your phones. Some ban the phones. But, but talk a little bit about how parents should uh, engage their schools, their child's school, to make sure that everyone is on the same page uh, as it relates to uh, the child's use of social media.
1: Well, when we have um, conducted studies on on teacher beliefs and parent beliefs about who um, should be onboarding our youth, uh, usually in the middle school, the parents want to be more involved, and they they think the teachers perhaps might not be as um, as critical. And then in high school, um, definitely um, they they're, they're sort of like, okay, well, it's it's the school's responsibility now, and um, and and most of the time, staff believe that it's all the parents responsibility it's not our responsibility <laughs> uh, but i'd say <laughs> over the years it's it's definitely change to meet more in the middle. I think a lot of um, the parents and the educators know that they need to work together because maybe something that happened, you know, the night before over the weekend that happened on social media might be distracting in the classroom the next day. That's all the kids can talk about. And so it's helpful for for parents to be in contact with the school counselors, for instance, that maybe this is why the the, the kids are not, you know, being able to focus because something that happened on social media. Um, One thing that that I wanted to emphasize is that in this generation, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, you know the online and offline worlds are often very blurred the boundaries are very blurred and and whatever happens in real life quote unquote to 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 adults they think that you know the on, on, online world is is a separate world somehow that that needs to not not you know trickle into the walls of the classroom but but for young people it's the same world it is online and offline it's yeah. all the same the same yeah. people often yeah. the same characters you know in, in the old days i think a lot of um caregivers think that the online world somehow is, is about this, this massive, you know, stranger community, these these adults that come and try to like predators, and that's the main thing that they're worried about. But actually, when you really think about, you know, when you count the the number of um, ways that that young people are are often kind of feeling bad about themselves online, it's because of people they know. It's because of their peers, you know, because they're classmates. And so yeah. and so it's the same community and and I think if there's anything that is happening both on the educator end or or the parent end for them to be in contact, it's all relevant. Hopefully we can all be, be on the same page, you know, of helping to foster a very um, conducive educational environment for everybody to thrive. And also in terms of the infusing social technologies into the curriculum, some teachers have been on, you know, kind of increased that option just to... See where the young people are at and and to kind of meet them where they are. Um, I know that some educators feel very hesitant to kind of open up that that box and and blur that boundary between educational versus entertainment. But but I'd say, you know, um, why not, you know, kind of use different tools that could, could help them use this this particular technology for good rather than only think of it as like this thing in the corner that everybody doesn't want to talk about that, you know, is useless. But it could possibly be brought into an educational framework um, since they're there anyway.
0: Yeah, good point. Linda Shamarman, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your insights on this issue. And... uh Thanks again for joining us on
1: What I Want to Know. Oh, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks for
0: listening to What I Want to Know. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app so you can explore other episodes and dive into our discussions on the future of education and write a review of the show. I also encourage you to join the conversation and let me know what you want to know using hashtag WIWTK on social media. That's hashtag WIWTK. For more information on Stride and online education, visit stridelearning.com. I'm your host, Kevin P. Chavis. Thank you for joining What I Want to Know.